is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so I get Tuesday talking a little hoops, talking soccer, talking football, talking Chris McKenna. Who else are we talking to? Me and you pick six. Yeah, I'm talking, to, I'm talking to you. You talking to me? And the six pick? Are you talking to me? I'm the only other one here. So you well, I'm, well, I'm walking here. Okay, I'm walking here. Okay. All right. You, you walking anywhere is a yeah. Dainty ankles. I don't know if I can make it. Right. Yeah. It's theatrical. Uh, you know what else? I felt like I had trouble walking the first, like, four or five minutes last night. UVA Weiss, because they were 0 for 18 to start the game. And let's talk hoops. I think last night, fresh in the memories, it was yes. a spectacular debut in an exhibition game where nothing counts. They would have broke the school record for threes if it counted, but it's an exhibition game. I don't want to get too hype. But three things that jumped off the page to me was the connectivity on defense, the energy level and the ball movement. Ball didn't yes. stick in the hands uh, of any player. Uh, me and Bruce talked about it uh, probably maybe too much, but the fact that guys understood if they threw the ball to somebody else, eventually the ball would be worked back to them and they could get their shots. And so the energy, defense, ball movement, big three takeaways for me. I agree with all of that. Uh, Brooks Savage wanted his identity for this team to be the hardest working, most connected, toughest team. Boom, boom, boom. I think he got everything he wanted last night uh, from that that performance. Um, the, the sheer number of assists was 27 assists on, was it 36 or 39 field goals? 39. 39 field goals is outstanding. That was far and away. That was more than any game that ETSU had last year in terms of assists. That is the kind of ball movement that this team needs. Also, they were aggressive. If they got good looks, they took them. They were not concerned about using every part of the shot clock. They played with pace. If they got a good look with eight seconds gone in the possession, they took the shot. Um, I love seeing that. I love seeing aggressive basketball. You know, it was end-to-end, and I think that pace really twisted Wise up in knots. Now, Wise is a D2 team, so it's not necessarily a gauge against, you know, Butler or Davidson or Furman, but it's still a D2 team in a time where higher-level D1 teams than ETSU are losing to D2 teams. I mean, Louisville lost to Kentucky Wesleyan, a 15-win D2 a year ago, and their coach comes out, Kenny Payne comes out and says, uh, you know, we're not going to beat teams on talent. He's like, you're not going to beat Kentucky Wesleyan on talent. Well, they weren't the only one, you know. Saint, no, they weren't. St. John's lost to Pace. Did Tennessee Tech lose too? Tennessee Tech lost to Tennessee Southern, the team that beat Sanford last year. Uh, so that, that's a, that's not even a D three. That's an NAIA school. So, yeah, I mean, to do that in this climate against a team that still brought back, yeah, they didn't bring back their top two scores, but they still brought back the next eight. That is a, I think that, that was a really solid performance. From the team, especially when you consider Justice Smith only played 17 minutes, Jaden Seymour only played 2021. 20, uh, that is a, a really solid performance. And can we talk about Justice Smith offensively? Because I saw glimpses of somebody that's going to take an enormous leap forward. Like you talked about, because this team shares the ball so well, everybody's more confident passing the ball to somebody else now. And also, everybody knows that when they get the good look, they're expected, they're trusted to take the shot rather than trying to look to get the ball to player X or player Y. There is no pass the ball to Tucker on this team. Uh, this is a this this feels like a team, and Justice seems like a player that has benefited considerably from that in this summer and into the fall. Well, offensively, I think Justice towards the end of the year last year figured out he's bigger, stronger than a lot of guys. It's almost like at the beginning of the year he didn't trust it because he was making the step up from D2 to D1. And then eventually, you know, that was one thing I think last year's coaching staff did, tried to do was like, hey, you're big enough, strong enough, you can take contact, get to the rim, you're a big dude, like 6'6", you know, 210, whatever he is. So 
trying to convince him he could do that. Then he started to do that, and I think you started to see he was able to do that. Then the mid-range jumper after he started hitting layups, that confidence was coming. And then the three was kind of hit or miss. You know, last night two for four, hit a couple back-to-backers. So I think that helped. Another offensive guy I want to continue to see is Jaden Seymour. I know he hit, he hit four threes, but is he going to continue to shoot like that? Because for three years I have seen him down in the Gordon Ball court be lights out. When the lights are on at a game, he's had trouble kind of converting that. Yesterday, again, lights were on. Not quite a countable game, but at least lights were on. And we saw the four for six. So those two guys I thought was very good to see. I know Evie Asamoa um, had eight of the first ten and then kind of disappeared from there offensively with Kamari Peterson. I think offense and the ball movement, shots will go, shots won't go. To me, it was defense and rebounding, and to me that started with Karan Boyd. Agreed. Yes. And if he's not going to be a fan favorite in a couple of weeks, just knowing the ETSU fan base and guys that they like to pull for, he's going to be a guy I think the fan base will wrap their arms around pretty quickly. No, I, I completely agree with that. I, I thought he was great, just the intensity that he brought. In the second half, coming out of halftime, you got the huge lead. You're up, what, 35 at half. And maybe they came out a little bit uneven. You know, the, the flow wasn't quite the same. And Karan Boyd gave them a huge lift. He made some just real hustle plays going after the ball, offensive rebounds, uh, put back opportunities, uh, knocked down a couple threes, and just gave them a lift. This is a guy that can be an X-factor for this team down the way. And, and another guy that I liked watching uh, last night was Braden Illick because he looked like a different – you know, Braden Illick was not somebody who would attack the rim last year for rebounds. And you saw it. And the, the production wasn't necessarily there. Like, the numbers weren't there. I think he only had two or three boards. But the effort was there. And that effort is going to lead that, – that's, that's going in the right direction. That's going to lead to results over the long haul. And – that's the kind of thing that gets you on the floor a little bit more so that you can show off that three-point shot that Illick was able to knock down a few of with the face shield on because uh, Jaden Parker broke his nose in practice just going for a rebound. So that, that tells you, I, I think, a lot about where Illick's mindset is, the confidence that he has, and that just makes him a much more promising player for ETSU because he's a more complete big and can do a lot of different things. Yeah, I, I think the Jaden Parker kind of set the tone for me and what was advertised. Shot blocker, rebounder, energy. Between him and Seymour, I think they blocked three of the first four shots. They did, and yes. they kept it in play. That's the, you know, Bruce was on this podcast. He would talk about it. Um, the It's not just blocking the shot. Now, Bruce has converted me because I was the guy that loved to see, like, the Shaquille O'Neal, it'd be volleyball spiked into, like, the 17th row. Right, that was the, the that's what I like to see. But in reality, that's not good, right? Because you give the ball back to the opposing team. So can you block it, maintain it, and lead a break out of it? Seven of the eight block shots were kept in play, and so I think that's an important note where guys not just blocking shots, but doing it in a way to where it helped the team as opposed to, yeah, you're blocking it for show when you're swatting it out of bounds as opposed to trying to keep it in play. Well, I think the only one that was swatted out of bounds was Justice was the trailer on a, a, what could have been a run out, and his only real option was to swat it over the baseline, and he did that. Um, no, Seymour looked great protecting the rim. Parker, I think, is going to be fine. He got, he got, I mean, he got the, the two fouls quick, and then the third foul late in the first half, and it was kind of like, uh, yeah. he was one guy that never really got, I think, super into a rhythm, but you could tell he could handle the ball a little bit. He's going to be an effective rebounder. Uh, I don't think the concerns about how thin he is are going to hold up over the course of the season. I think he's going to be fine. He's plenty strong enough. He's just really long, and he hides that weight very well because of his big frame. Uh, I, he's a guy that's going to be – he's the number – He's the. he is the first option at the five, and uh, I think it's going to be that way for much of the year for Brooks Savage. Then how about the, just the energy on the bench was good too. I mean – Everybody was there. David Merriweather, who didn't play, uh, was in street clothes. He joked. He said, uh, that was that was the best game of my college career. He said that after the game. He was like, that was the best 40 minutes of my career. And uh, Chris Arkenberg said, you didn't make any – it's like you, 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 you didn't make any losing plays. You, like the winners make winning plays. David made winning plays all 40 minutes tonight. Um, so that just 
the vibe is different. You know, like that kind of joking, that sort of back and forth. That's stuff that we haven't seen at ETSU in a while. And that's that resonated with me. Uh, like those two guys just having fun, talking about it. Uh, even if you didn't get in the game, you still had fun on that sideline. That tells me that the cultural overhaul that Brooks Savage has, has been trying to bring to ETSU over the summer has taken root, and it's going to work. This is going to work. There are going to be a couple games probably early in the year that are going to look rough. There are going to be some games that are rough. Um, I don't know what to expect when, when they go to Indianapolis to play Butler, but this is going to work. This is the most confident I've been that this is going to work after watching them all summer um, since Brooks got here. I think the one thing for me was seeing was Brooks Savage, who obviously is a disciple of Steve Forbes, and even if you want to go into the, you know, Buzz Peterson slash uh, Bruce Pearl kind of lineage, Will Wade type deal, seeing how he was going to work with the staff. Because the one thing I always said about Forbes I found interesting than any other coach, and I've sat in that chair next to the bench, you know, going on 24 years now. So I feel like I at least got a good grasp of concepts of coaching. And Forbes would get in an argument with his assistants over things and ultimately let the assistants do their job. And not that they, quote, unquote, won an argument. It would, you know, it would be random stuff. Why that guy going to the game? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? And the coaches would bark back because of this or that. It's what we're doing. Okay, fine. And he would walk off. Like, it was one of those weird, like, I never, you know, and there will be an occasional, like, I don't care. I want this guy in. Sure, that happens. Head coach wins the, the argument if there is one. But at the same token, I was amazed with how much they would go back and forth. And eventually, fine. All right. Let the assistant coaches take ownership of it, you know. And it did well. Now, last night, obviously, is a little bit different. But it was the same token. There was a couple of times he said something. Hey, who's got what? You know, Joe Hughley, hey, Parker's got two fouls quick. I think I think he's fine. Leave him in. I mean, I mean, it was two fouls in the first three minutes. Yes. And they left him in, and he did fine. And so that was one of those examples where I'm like, I could tell it was almost like Savage was like, I think we should get him. Coach said, no. Okay. You're, let him in there. So there was some of that. There's also, I'm going to have to get used to a full conversation while I'm doing a broadcast to try to communicate <laughs> questions that the head coach is asking me while I'm trying to broadcast and have a back and forth, which I got pretty yeah. good with for the first couple of years. It took me a while. I've had practice, so I'm going to be able to do this, but I'm going to have to get used to that again. Well, I, I loved the one where um, Savage was a little farther toward midcourt, and he turned back and he was talking to Brian Jones, who was calling the defense. He said, am I on your way? And you thought he was talking to you, and then you just uh, very, very <laughs> – it's like – uh, can can you is like can you see all right? And you said no, and uh, he was not talking to you. He had no idea you were talking. To him. Oh no no! He came back by because I asked him if he heard me. He goes, oh I heard you. He said, was yeah. I in your way too? I said, yes. That's yeah. why I yelled because yeah, you. Yeah, you're in my way. Yes. Because yeah. he was in a perfect spot. And then when he told Coach Jones like, hey, can you see? Do I need him further down? And he was just doing it as an example. And he took three steps down. Then he was completely blocking me from everything. So I was just letting him know whether he was talking to me or not. Yeah. Although I did think he was talking to me. <laughs> I, I did love that Brian Jones was given free reign to call the defense. I thought that was really good. Because if you have one coach, one voice on the sideline that's there for offense, and one coach, one voice on the sideline that's there for defense, it's clear who's communicating what. And uh, the one thing, too, is uh, and, and this you know, terminology is big. And I know people don't understand that. Well, you know, especially they probably hear it more in football than basketball. You know, if, uh, you know, if this – this route's called this, or this is the route tree, or this is that, or this is what we call define this. You know, for basketball, some of the terminology is is the same as far as what it, is it a flare cut, is it a curl cut? There's some things like that, but there's a lot of different actions where people refer to it differently. And so, Coach Jones had referred to a few actions that, when he was the head coach, he called it differently. But I noticed because again, sitting next to the Coach Forbes and Coach Savage, and actually, honestly, Savage was a guy that sat next to me. Uh, when he was on the staff, because obviously there's a guy that sits in the chair closest because the head coach is, you know, walking around and never right. sits. So Coach Savage was sitting next to me, and so I've heard him yell out the same actions five years prior, and then Coach Jones making the adjustment to yell that out, I think, again, just shows the buy-in of everyone being on the same page. Because sometimes, like when uh, Coach Collins, who's now at Tennessee State, Penny, was assistant it took him a while to get the terminology down he would yell something out and everybody have to look at him and go that's that's not what we call it oh he do it but to, to see that savage also 
went because at Wake they decided to kind of change some things up as opposed to what you would hear traditionally, this coach has the scout, right? This coach is in charge of this. Wake Forest the last several years, because of the addition to Woodley, then they got Jason Shea back, they went offense-defense. So they have two coaches working offense. They have two coaches working defense, similar to an offense-defense coordinator in football. Again, right. just to put that perspective, and, and, and Coach Savage Jones is was, in charge of that. Savage was the offensive coordinator Correct. At, at Wake, and um, he did several uh, NCC midweek teleconferences because of that, because Forbes was unavailable. So they, they put Savage out there because he was the, the guy that was the, the offensive coordinator, basically, for the, for the team. So uh, it's interesting to see how the staff interacts and, and how that goes. But there were also several times where Savage needed an answer to a question in which he turned around and just asked me, and then I've got to figure out how to work that into the broadcast so that he hears what I'm saying so I'm not awkwardly having a conversation with somebody else while trying to, you know, uh, have a conversation with the fans and let them know what's going on. But, I've uh, again, I've practiced at that, so I was able to work in three different answers uh, that he asked me. Uh, and a couple times I just used hand signals. <laughs> I gotta get used to that because again, yeah. that was not one of those things. You and have to be able to commute, not communicate non-verbally when you're already communicating verbally about a different, entirely different avenue. Right, but because occasionally I would say something and Coach Barto would look at me, "What'd you say?" <laughs> you know, and I'd have to figure out how to work it back in the same time. Normally it was a stat or something. You know, hey, they've gone eight minutes without a basket or something. And I'm saying, yeah, just to reiterate, they've gone eight minutes without a basket, so I could do something. Like or, he, or sometimes I would talk a little louder to, to Coach Bart. You know, it's his third foul, you know, or whatever. So he would look at me and go, is that three, Jay? Yeah, and I'm just holding my finger. So I've been able to communicate with coaches, but Forbes would literally not uh, – and I used to like Forbes because I would make things sometimes sound nicer than maybe a play would be for the Bucks, And he would look at me and then hammer me on, you know, that guy was worse or this was a bad sh- or whatever. And in one game I said, you do know I'm tr- – I'm, trying to make it sound better than what it is for you guys. He goes, well, I'm glad. I said, well, he didn't sound like it when you were yelling at me. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm trying to cover up your guy here, you know, and you're over there sitting there screaming at me. So, Well, yeah, I mean, you're the radio guy. Like, you're the hometown guy. Right. Like, you know, it is it is an air ball, but how do you describe that air ball? You know, well, you, know you can do things to help protect it. And there's occasionally, I think, and I told Coach Forbes this because uh, a couple times he goes, oh, blue and honest, and he would growl at me or whatever. Like, at some point, like, if I want people to trust my judgment when I'm giving them, occasionally you have to be completely honest on things. Like Absolutely. Like there was a, a – and I won't – I did name call in the broadcast. I won't do it right now. But there was a, a bad shot taken uh-huh. and did not get back on defense, which led to the only time out Coach Savage called said player was yes. taken out of the game. Yep. And that was setting the tone of that. So that was a brutally honest – and I could see it developing the bad shot, saw him walk back, and as I was in the middle of going in that, I heard Coach say, we're going to get a timeout here, he's out of the game, whatever. But I'd already kind of got into the buildup. So sometimes, yes, there is you, – you are honest. When ETSU is on all cylinders, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to you know, be me over the top as I am as, uh, uh, you know, just over-exuberance, right? The fan in me comes out sometimes, right? So I'm going to do that. When things are going bad, if they are really bad and there's no way to get around it, there's nothing I can do but be honest. But there are times where there is a tweener where, yes, I'm going to give the team the benefit of the doubt and try to make it sound a little better than what it is because that's what you know you pay me to do. But I'm still still the overall gist, the air ball happened, right? I'm not going to make up a ball hit a rim or just flat out lie, but there's something you know that we're going to have to do there. But plenty of time to talk hoops. The season's here. Everyone's excited. Brooks Average got the first game out. Now the real game coming up Monday. November 6th, one week from yesterday. And so we'll cover that. What we're going to cover now is the a pretty good showing down in Greenville, South Carolina. This is the 100th episode of the Jane hey, Show. Hey, how about that? How about that for us? That, I don't have any other sound effect. <laughs> I was going to do, like, streamers or something, but we don't have that, so that's all oh, I, I, I just did. A no, I'm sorry. You, there you go. Play, play the fight song on a kazoo or something. 
So let's talk. Yeah, it would be awesome. Uh, football, uh, unbelievable game playing Billy Taylor. They took Tyler Huff out of every semblance of whatever he wanted to do. And I thought the sellout factor of I don't care if he's handing the ball off on purpose, it's a read, or it's going to be him rolling out, uh, especially on those bootlegs and waggles where they really want action going one way, and it's just no blocker him rolling out in the flat looking for, uh, you know, receivers, tight ends, running backs, kind of coming against the grain, and ETSU's outside linebackers buying into, well, and specific, specifically Teddy Wilson because he was generally on the uh, bound or the wide side of the field, right, like a better term. Uh, and so uh, the field side, as I guess it's called. But him being able to stick to I've got Huff no matter what and not buying into anything I think was tremendous. I think that's going to help folks that try to game plan against Furman. I think Furman early saw that Chattanooga was able to do a few things against ETSU and tested to see if ETSU was going to defend that, which I think is what you should do. If you're uh, a coaching staff that just saw a team get, get kind of drugged the week before, that's how you're supposed to do it. Coach Taylor's adjustment I thought was spectacular and how they guarded Huff, how they're able to do it. The cornerbacks who have been beaten up all year played out of their minds yes. and deserve all the credit in the world. I yes. can't speak more highly of Javon Henderson and Khalil Anderson in that performance. I will. I, I want to give shine to Javon Henderson in particular because I feel like that sort of performance has been coming for Khalil Anderson. Like, ever since he got on the field in earnest for the first time. Because he missed the first, what, two, two and a half weeks of fall camp. So he's a little bit behind. He needed some time to get up to flying speed. But you could tell it was coming. Like, he's just he's just too talented to not play at that level. But Javon got benched before the Mercer. He got benched after Sanford. And it, it, it was not a, a good time for him. Um, and, you know, he was frustrated about it. And he chomped down harder on the bit and went back to work, and he got better. And he got back on the field last week. He got the interception. And that just he's overflowing with confidence after that. And they targeted, I believe it was six deep routes against the corners, and they went 0 for 6. Correct. And that's outstanding. Uh, That is really, really good. Uh, that is a position that has been a weakness. But at some point, you know, all that experience is going to roll back around and start benefiting these guys. And if they can play that way the rest of the year, you feel really, really optimistic about that position going forward. Yeah, three plays Furman hit. They had a couple runs, uh, one for 13, one for 14 yards on a little counter. Uh, a nice little delay counter, actually, that they were able to get some success pulling some guards. But other than those two runs, that's all they had. They had three pass plays, two Great calls on slip screens against blitzes, yeah. end of the blitz, more importantly. And then Sheldon Arnold got beat on a, on a spectacular double move. But that was it. And you think they took seven shots deep and hit one, you'll take that. Yeah, and those things are going to happen because Furman's really freaking good. But Furman was the number, what, four team in the country coming in. I think they're the, num- they're the number two team in the country in the top 20, in the, uh, the stats top 25 this week, or the coach bowl, one or the other, maybe both. Uh, they, uh, that's a really good football team that ETSU gave everything they had defensively. Special teams gets a touchdown. Teddy Wilson's playing out of his mind right now, too, both on defense and on special teams. And I got the chance to talk to him. He'll be our player profile this week. Uh, super humble guy, just really happy to be here. Uh, you know, it's like just your classic All-American football player, right? Like, happy to have the chance, love the game, love my mama. My mama's everything. And uh, uh, just go out and block, block punts. Uh, there's a there's an art to it, though, and, and he gave me a really good answer on, on the art of blocking kicks. But uh, he's played well. This whole defense played well. The offense kind of is what it is at this point. I mean, there's so many injuries. There's so little depth. Um, fear that there may be more injuries coming for the wide receivers group. There's already no scholarship quarterbacks. Um, it's, been, it, it's been really, really packed. They're, you're down to, what, your th- – Third tight end in stay school. It's 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 grim on the offensive side, just in terms of the numbers. Right, and if Gallardets or Gallardets, excuse me, is uh, and we not got word on him yet. If he can't go, he was injured at the, the end of the game. If he can't go, you're starting three wide receivers to start the year. Will will be out as well. Yeah, and you'll be down to Winton, Cavalero, and Mathis, and that's your entire scholarship receivers group. So I, the one thing I also want to talk about was the drive to end the first half, and I know it ended in an interception, but that turned, I think, the offense because 
just 29 yards in the first quarter. They got pretty much all the 74 yards. Uh, it was like 68 of the 74 yards on that last drive in the second quarter. And then things started to get going, you know, 100 yards in the, in the uh, third quarter and then really didn't have the ball a lot in the fourth quarter. But they were able to get some things going. They found some success. I thought, you know, the, there was an injury to Bryson Irby. We'll have to check on, you know, his status. But uh, uh, Trey Foster was unbelievable. You know, he's been kind of chomping at the bits. He's been doing everything he can to get on the field. Special teams, heck, put me a fullback, in which is clearly not the size of a fullback you would normally have out there. He's doing everything he can. Amir Dindy had a, a couple runs. Both those guys were a step away. Uh, unfortunately, Foster ran into the ref, or the ref ran into him, however you want to word that on one run. Otherwise, I don't know if he'd still be running or would have had an extra 50 to 60 yards because there was nobody around him. Dindy almost stepped through a guy laying on the ground, reached up to the last second, got just enough of him. Otherwise, he had green grass in front of him on a play. So those guys ran hard. Um, you know, the running game kind of came around against a team that hadn't given a lot up on the ground. I think ETS was the second best rush, uh, rushing total against them all season. And, again, ETSU held them to one of their least amount, I think less than even what South Carolina did. So I thought, you know, give credit to – both sides of the line of scrimmage for doing some things. I think the only negative, again, there were two rushes where they just overloaded the A-gaps, and ETSU couldn't handle it, and guys were in Riddle's face in like 1.2 seconds. He threw two picks on those plays. And, uh, you know, I think you talked to any quarterback. Of course, I got access to, to Hutzel and Wilgem in two different areas, and they said, that's the worst place to have a rush come from, right? If you get it from the edge, you've got a chance. You got a little, hey, you got a little extra tenths of a second to try to get rid of the football. When they come right up the gut, nobody's blocking them, and you've got to try to make a throw. It just makes it that much more impossible. And two of those interceptions kind of came on those plays. Uh, you know, and I think Riddle actually put a couple catchable balls out there where guys didn't catch it as well. Uh, and so, again, a lot of those things are going. Timmy Dorsey actually practiced Monday. We'll see if he factors in to any type of the offense or if it's still going to be Riddle. You know, do they go wildcat with Dorsey just for the simple reason A can run, B can throw? You know, do they just go with Riddle? Do they go back to some uh, aspect of the Wildcat, which they ran once or twice last game? Um, I think negative two yards was Boris's only carry, maybe. So, um, again, we'll just, you know, and Furman sold out on that. They, you know, so PTSU goes, the, oh, no, sorry, they ran twice because the other one was the pass. They, uh, they, they, they ran the, the pass. And then a little bit of imagination there where they ran the Wildcat to Trey Foster through a pass, got a penalty because of the defense pass interference. And then they had the reverse flea flicker in which Tim stay school. Uh, I don't know if he would have scored. If he would have stayed on his feet, he would have picked up about another 10, 15 yards. But uh, still, yeah. there was some plays and, to, to you know, just trick plays, just try to get something going offensively. Well, Qualls on Monday said that, uh, that they need that play to be a touchdown. And, uh, oh, and they, yes, they probably do. He's, uh, he he, he kind of joked. He said sometimes we catch it. It seems like we catch it three or four times on the same play. Um, and, and I think that was the case. With Stay- he kind of bobbled that one and. If he catches it securely, maybe he can turn up field and, and get another big chunk of yardage. But, uh, yeah, the, the, that's the kind of stuff that, that I think you just need to do because it's fun and it's different stuff and it keeps the guys engaged. And right now that's the single most important thing for me is keep the guys engaged, keep the football fun. You know, you know that you're, you're not going to have any postseason. So um, let's just, just have fun. With, with what you've got, because if you show up and you beat your head against the wall, then nobody's going to want to do that, and everybody's going to be ready to, to, to go home for Thanksgiving. And it certainly was, uh, uh, you know, watching, and the guy, especially once the block punt. I mean, they were already, the team was kind of in it. Then the block punt, then they got the two-point play, which give Riddle credit, because, again, that was another A-gap. Like, somebody was on him immediately. Um, and he just, you know, he threw a jump ball, and Gary Des did a great job to come back and get it to get it to a one-score game. And, I mean, if you went into the game, and I guarantee if you pulled Buck Nation said, hey, if there's three minutes to go, and you've got the ball around, what was it, 37-38 yard line on that fourth down play. Really, and let's talk about this, the third down play, Gary Des flat out got tackled before the ball. I mean, it was yeah. one of the more, again, egregious calls I, I just don't get. I – I am a big fan of bang, bang, just let guys make plays, right? I don't want to over-officiate. I never have in any sport. If it's bang, bang, better guy wins. I'm fine with that. What I can't get over is the last two or three seasons, 
the blatant misses. And I've talked about a, a couple games where ETSU got away with blatant stuff. I'm not just saying, hey, oh, ETSU, you know, I'm beating a drum. Or, or, quote, quote, they're cheating us. They're cheating us. They're not, they're, I'm not buying into that. And I'm not buying into that officiating crew was trying to protect the higher seat. I've heard that too. Well, you know, Southern Conference ain't going to let that happen. Nobody called down to the back judge with three minutes to go and said, hey, there's questionable play here. You let that go because we need them to be a national seat. I refuse to believe the conspiracy theories there. Do I think? No, if, they, if it was a national series, then they would have been spoon-feeding Furman chunk yards on every possession because Furman needed to win that game by way more to really have the, the iron grip because Montana State, Idaho, Montana, they're all in that fight. North Dakota State's got the marker this week. If they win that game, they're right back in that fight. Uh, you know, and Furman needed to win that game by a lot more than they did if they were looking for protecting a seat. So, yeah, I mean, all the, the tinfoil stuff. Right. Is, yeah. And, and honestly, most of the calls that were made, I, mean, I don't think there was really too much. Uh, I'm trying to think if I can think other than that non-call. I don't think there was any other call. Maybe the rough and the punter, that was weird, how that was not rough and the punter. Uh, and running into the kicker. It was I, running into the kicker, and it was a five-yard penalty, and Brackett kicked it again. Yeah. I, well, and he actually did it again because it was a, it was a illegal procedure. So I think he ended up kicking it three times. But it yeah. ended up, he ended up getting it down at the six-yard line. So it was like a plus 30 for ETSU when it was all said and done. But that, that if, he's, if you had said three minutes, you get yeah. hosed on a non-call. Yeah. Even if you don't. Let's say you three minutes ago, you're playing the number three, four, whatever they were, team in the country at their place. You're down one score. And you still have a chance with three minutes to go with the football on a fourth down play. I, I people probably think we're crazy to even bring that up, but that's where they were, and that's where, I mean, everyone was in it, competing, doing what they can. Can they have the same fight? And we're going to break down obviously the VMI game, and we'll talk uh, a little bit more about VMI chat just because we want to cover a lot more ETSU stuff on this podcast today specifically. We'll talk more Southern Conference football um, on Thursday as we preview yes. things, but. You know, if they get that type of effort and they continue to fight and whatever, because both teams, VMI and ETSU, they know the chances of getting wins for the rest of the year are slim to none, so you've got to take every opportunity. VMI is going to be fired up. They had a great, um, really, second quarter on against Chattanooga. ETSU played, I would say, arguably, you know, um, great, well, defensively the best four quarters I think they played all year. I agree. Um, you know, and I no offense to Carson Newman, but that was obviously a step up in weight class uh, playing Furman. So um, I think the best defensive effort they had, and I thought the offense for a couple of quarters there and found some you know ground game was able to grind some stuff out against a team that's hard to do. I think offensive took some steps. Again, they're kind of limited because either uh, injuries or well, mainly injuries. Uh, so we'll see. I certainly great effort. Effort don't win you games. Uh, well, they do, but they didn't in this one. So, ETSU's got to go uh, VMI coming up. We'll talk about that on Thursday. Now, speaking of dramatics, because it was a dramatic finish a little bit in the yes, ETSU uh, uh, football game, but it wasn't as dramatic as the football game that happened uh, the other night. Everybody forward for ETSU. Ten seconds left as Potholzer takes a run, takes a cross. The header pinball's a run. It's in. It's in. Chris McKenna. Has scored the title winner with three seconds to spare. ETSU has done it. So my question is, mm-hmm. is that the best call you've ever had to do a championship winner? Uh, I don't know. I mean, that it was it, that would be pretty close. Obviously, a Tony Fubara's title winner in 2010. Right when I was when I was a kid. Um, they, I guess they all had flaws if I were to just, like, break them all down. But that's certainly a moment that I will not forget because it was it – was it, it really just validates decision day as a concept because Wofford had won minutes before that goal happened. And in that final few seconds, the regular season title was on the verge of being shared – and the road to a SOCON title was going to go through Spartanburg, and then this guy that's sitting behind you, Jay, just kind of strolls into the box, and the ball finds him, and he steers it in, and ETSU now has a regular season title that they do not have to share, and the road to a championship in the tournament goes through Johnson City. And Chris McKenna joins us now 
the uh, the center back and the set piece ace for ETSU men's soccer, who scored a championship-winning goal with three seconds left, 89 minutes and 57 seconds. And, Chris, congratulations. Uh, that was really uh, awesome to watch, as you can tell. Uh, but just describe the come down from that. How have you processed what you just did on Saturday night over the last uh, 48 hours or so? To be honest, um, obviously moments like that in football are pretty hard to come by. So I think if, I, if you'd asked any of the boys before the game how, they, how you would have wanted to win the game, we would have said something like that would be stuff that you dream of. Um, obviously, there's a little bit of luck involved with the goal, but I don't think that's anything less than we deserved um, for all the work that we put in, not only in that game, but throughout the season. So, obviously, we're all still watching it back, and we can't believe it, but um, that's a success that we want, and now we've had a taste of it, and we want more of it, so we're still motivated to keep on going. What's with the shirt wave? Why, did, why is it that soccer players just always want to take off their shirts and wave them around? <laughs> it's a great question. I don't know. I, I think it's just a bit of an iconic thing, especially if you score a goal in such a dramatic manner that you just, I don't know, it's obviously growing up watching people do it before, and you think if it ever happens and you get the chance, and why not? So I think it just, yeah, in that time with the adrenaline and stuff, you just you, you want to celebrate it the best way you can. One of my favorite things about soccer is that the game is so big and so global that everybody has different people that they looked up to. Who were the, the guys that you looked up to growing up that were kind of your your role models that said, yeah, I want to be a professional footballer, I want to be a footballer, I want to play the game, I want to play the game like the, these guys? I mean, growing up um, growing up in Scotland and Glasgow, obviously, I'm a big Celtic fan, so yes. I've been a season ticket holder for the Celtic since since I was a young boy and going to the Celtic games with my dad and my brother all the time, watching especially Celtic having they create quite a special atmosphere and have some of the best fans in the world, so even just going to those games, things like Champions League nights, games against Rangers, or you, you see the atmosphere and you know that you just you want to be a part of it and any... Um, any of the players like growing up, some of the captains that we've had, even the captain now, Callum McGregor, I think he's a great captain. Um, so you look up to players like that a lot that are able to do it every week, under pressure, big mentalities, and then even just from a personal point of view, growing up, um, looking up to like my dad who played football when he was younger and obviously he's helped me a lot and supported me a lot growing up and um, my big brother played as well. Um, so it's, it's kind of run through the family and we obviously, yeah, I look up to to them a lot as well. Yeah, now David Lilly is also a Celtic man. Yeah. Was that a selling point for you when you were looking for a place to continue your career? <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, I know that doesn't mean the same thing here that it does back home, but I, I still feel like that that's something that, that resonates with you. I mean, so it's obviously nice, yeah, it, when you come across somebody not only just from Scotland, but somebody that's from as close as Glasgow when you're out here in America, such a big country. Um, and then obviously... Yeah, so it's a little bit nicer as a Celtic fan as well. Um, but I think first and foremost, it was the, the programme itself and then the conversations that we had together were really good. And um, it's obviously just a bonus that he's a Celtic man as well. Chris, I want to go back to the, the moment. Obviously, take me through what you were seeing, you know, from the set piece uh, to, to putting the ball through the back of the net. Just to talk to me through that, and then i got to follow up. Um, I mean, like I said, we'd had... In those last kind of few minutes of the game, we'd had a few corners and we knew we knew on the field ourselves that we had to get a goal to, to win it outright. Um, and we'd had a few corners that Tarek was putting in in the last few minutes and they were getting closer and closer and it was just those last final touches weren't weren't quite falling to us. And then obviously in the last one, um, I knew that it was, there was going to be bodies in the box, it was, uh, bodies in the box, it was going to be hectic and you just had to be ready for anything. Um, Obviously, like I said, Tarek's, Tarek's been a really good delivery like he has done all season. And it is obviously a little bit of luck involved there just with the deflection and how it's ended up in the back of the net. But at the end of the day, in that stage of the game, you take anything. You just need to be ready to move your feet. And um, like I said, I think we deserved a little bit of luck after all the work we put in. So when did you know it was in? The second it left your foot or did you have to wait and hold a breath for a second? I mean, you look back at it, oh, I'm so fast. But I think... As it hit me, 
I knew it was going in a, in a direction, but there was probably a little pause where I was like, it was it was that close in the corner that it could have hit the post as well and came back out. But as, as soon as it kind of um, hit off me and it was rolling towards the goal, it was like a, a breath hold for a minute, and then I realised it was in. And it was an amazing feeling. All right, I want to go back to the celebration because every kid. Uh, does it. I did it growing up. I'm sure Keith did. My kids do it. They work on the game-winning play, the championship thing, and they work on all these celebrations. Did you ever work in the backyard as a, as a young lad and take the shirt off, or was it just you just had an out-of-body experience and you really didn't know how you were going to celebrate or what was going on? You just know you were celebrating. I mean, I probably have done when I was younger, just playing with my friends and stuff. You obviously play around and we have fun and when you're young, yes. I've probably done it before where I've scored and I've took my top off, but I don't think I've ever actually done it in a competitive game. Um, and somebody asked me the other day, that is probably the first goal, game-winning goal that I've scored um, in my career so far. So at that time, obviously not expecting it, hoping that we're going to get anything from the game. It happens and it's like you're just, the adrenaline takes over, the excitement, the joy, and you just kind of, yeah. So, so when did you guys know, or did you know? I'm sure you did. When did the word come down that Wofford had scored, and you kind of knew you had to make a play? Um, well, I asked one. I asked one of the boys at halftime, and they said it was it was still tied at at zero zero. Um, and then when Mercer scored, I, we kind of we always our intention was to always win the game no matter what, um, and put ourselves in the best position. Also, we knew if we took care of our own own business and our own performance that we've been in a good position obviously um, and then I think it was towards the last 10 minutes when Wofford scored, a couple of the boys had had word from the sideline and then it was actually, I think it was Eves, Eves Churriot that told me um, we need a goal and that's when we obviously started pushing Now you have dropped in to uh, a, a kind of an established team set up, a lot of veterans, Pinteric Garen, Eddie Ramos, Eves Cole Hunter um what, what's your read on that group, and what do you think it meant to them to do that against a team that denied them the same thing 12 months ago? Oh, yeah. It's obviously it's a special moment for them, just as much as it is for everybody else. But I know, obviously, coming in, they told me all about how it happened last year, and I know they were, they were really close to having good success last year. Um, and I think this season they just built on those foundations again and having boys like that in the team that are experienced and played college soccer and not only just on the field, off the field as well um, and keeping the standards high every day is is, um, is really crucial to what we try to do and the success that we've had so far um, and no, yeah, I think it's a, it's a big moment for them but it's nothing less than, than what they deserve for the work they've put in. Eves is kind of an outside back by trade that's been shoehorned into more of a centre back role in this 3-4-3 setup you guys are working with yeah. um, what, what sticks out to you about him? What, what's what's his strength as a defender? He's really good one v one defensively. Um, he reads the game really well, and I think especially having um, that back three, uh, as we like to play more attack and impress a game. Him being on the outside as well kind of has to be alert one v one defensively, and he's been he's been really good. Like I, I can't remember the last time somebody dribbled by him or got the better of him one v one. Um, he does really well shield the ball using his body um, and really calm and composed when he when he recovers from that as well. So, How much do you learn from each other? I mean, you've obviously you've played this game a lot at a fairly high level. I mean, you've played for an NAIA National Championship in Mobile, so you've, you've played some pretty high-level games and high-stakes games. How much can you still learn from these younger guys like Chuyap and Cruz? So, so much to learn. I mean, I think every game you're learning anyway. Um, at the start of the season, you're obviously trying to especially being if you're a new player you're trying to learn each other's games and um, kind of get that chemistry down together but as the games went on we've just become more and more comfortable and I think naturally you just learn each other's traits and habits and um, through communication and stuff like that as well we just we learn off each other all the time and I think it's really important especially especially as a defensive unit to have those kind of understanding of each other's games. The one thing I know Sandos loves to talk about is the journey and uh, the journey that take as an, a, an athlete to get to where you are. Take us through your journey coming to the United States, how you got linked up with the people you, you met first, and then when you were you graduated, you were looking to pursue a master's and stay in the U.S. and continue to compete and, and 
and what linked you up with ETSU? Um, yeah, so obviously growing up, I played for um, Celtics Youth Academy since I was the age of seven or eight years old. Um, played there until I was 16, 17 years old. Um, and then when I left school, uh, when I left high school, kind of had, had it in the back of my head that I would have liked to come to America and do a scholarship. My older brother, um, he actually played at Duke at the time and just graduated from there. So I knew kind of the experience from him, seeing how he loved it. He enjoyed it really much, really recommended it. Um, that it was probably something that I would like to do. Started reaching out to, to colleges. Um, obviously had a little bit of help from people that, that knew the system back home. Um, got linked with the coach at Mobile. It was all pretty last minute. Went there, had a great four years there, really enjoyed it. Um, coach was great there, staff were great there. Great group of players. We had a really good team, obviously, in the NAIA um, and had success. And, and it was really good, especially for me, being quite young when I came over to the US. Those four years really helped me mature and develop, and not only as a person, but as a player as well. Um, and then I think after graduating there, it was time for just something different, a new challenge. Um, and so again, started reaching out to schools, um, seeing, seeing what I could find and what was out there. But it wasn't ever a case that I was desperate to leave because I was happy where I was. Um, just wanted to see what else could be out there. And as soon as I had the conversations with Coach Lilly and, and Kyle and the, the other staff here and the, the programme, the way they talked about it, and it was kind of just everything I was looking for. And obviously looking back now, it's, it's been a good decision. So we look back uh, to where you are. We got championship. We got all that. Let's look forward. Yeah. Because obviously you know that the road to the NCAA tournament runs through Summer Taylor Stadium. Talk about the fact you're going to be able to sit and wait, host a semifinal, and then obviously uh, you could host a championship game on your home field. No, yeah. It's pretty much it's crunch time now. It's, it's, we have to win, and we'll, we, we're going to try and enjoy that pressure as much as we can. This is the, the time of the season now that there's a lot of teams that, that aren't playing anymore. Their season's done, and we're fortunate enough to where we've, we've put in enough work to where we've still got that opportunity to keep on playing. So all the boys, even though we've had that taste of success already, we want it just makes you more hungry for more. And so we're in a good position now to, to go and really um, try and earn more success. And we're looking forward to it, especially it's nice having the, the home fans and the home crowd at Summer's Tales, and we're hoping that we can go and continue that. Now, now the script is flipped. You guys were the hunters. Now you're the hunted. You've got the target on your back. You've got a couple teams coming here that uh, you got the better of, one emphatically and one dramatically, uh, that are going to play in the quarterfinal. Uh, how do you mentally prepare for a team that whichever team's going to come out of that quarterfinal is going to give you everything they have on Sunday? I don't think I don't think we do anything drastically different to what we've done all season, um, especially since conference started. The way that we've just um, kept our standards high and kept working every day has uh, really been the key to, to what we've been doing um, and we can't look at it any differently going in now we have to just obviously we're happy and we're still buzzing off what's just happened but we now need to look forward um, and, that, and that's done that chapter of the season's closed and we have to look forward now um, and I think any good team no matter what level you're at it's, it's about consistency and consistency comes with keeping those standards high so I think looking at the games, also we know what's happened already in the season, but for us, that's now done and we have to approach it like we have done all season um, and keep our standards high. All right, ETSU men's soccer in the semifinal. You got it right in front of you there, but I believe it's is it 3 o'clock on Sunday. It is 3 o'clock on Sunday. The, the Friday match is 3 o'clock as well. Yep. Uh, UNCG, Mercer, you get to watch that, and then Sunday you'll turn around 3 p.m. kick. Yep, should be a lot of fun. ETSU center back Chris McKenna. Uh, he's hard to miss out there, uh, 30 in blue or 30 in gold or 30 in white, depending on what uniform they're wearing. But, Chris, uh, great to sit down with you. Thanks so much for your time. Congratulations again, and uh, hopefully more to come. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. All right, that was fun, Chris. Uh, Keith, obviously, men's soccer. Uh, we'll talk, touch on women in just a second. But huge one seed. They don't have to leave their house, their apartment dorms, whatever it is. They're not getting on a bus. Able to prepare. And, of course, the, the big advantage of men's soccer, the one and two seeds, they get to sit there Friday uh, and watch and not have to play. And two days later, you know, for ETSU's purpose, the 4-5 game, you know, it's at UNCG Mercer. They're going to have to play and then turn around, you know, basically 46 hours later, tee it up and kick it off again. They are. It's going to be really challenging. Um, 
that's the beauty of it. But also, ETSU lost 1-0 last year to Mercer in the same position. Right? They were at home. They waited. They got the chance to host in the, the – they, they hosted the quarterfinal, which I wasn't here for because I was moving back from North Dakota, uh, moving my family into our house uh, into, in, in North Dakota, or from North Dakota to Tennessee. Um, after being down here for a few weeks, flew back up there, but, but was back for the semifinal. And they gave up a goal in the first ten minutes, and they lost. Uh, so any, anything could happen. This is still up in the air, but I think if you just look at the top five teams in the league, any of them have a chance to win it, but ETSU is probably the most balanced. They have the best center backs. They have the best goalkeeper, the best collection of center backs. They have the best goalkeeper. Uh, I think they have the best forward attack with – uh, with Ramos and Podholzer and Richards, and and they're also playing really really well right now. So those things all bode for me. This is the best off. Or this is a good team. Like in terms of offense and defense, they are the most balanced overall team. Probably the most complete overall team in the SoCon. This should be the number one seed. They are. And they're going to have two teams that are very, very mad at them because of the way that they got beat on this field earlier this year. Yeah, Greensboro, I mean, that was a throttling. I mean, just to be honest, that was a, a runaway that I don't know that anybody saw. I mean, obviously, ETSU, you're thinking, great chance to win, UNCG. Um, not quite what they thought they were going to be going in this year, but the way that ETSU was able to score early and keep scoring and keep scoring and, you know, and, what a Baker's dozen, whatever it was, and it wasn't. But uh, put a lot of goals on the board against UNCG. You know, they're going to be chomping at the bit to get payback for that. And then, of course, Mercer just, you know, uh, roughly one week later could possibly play ETSU from a, a three-second gut-wrenching uh, loss for them. Um, and UNCG did just snap a 10-game uh, winless streak with a 6-2 victory over VMI. So maybe they, they got right right at the end see how it goes, but uh, that team has only won two games all year. That's a stunning, stunning fall for the Spartans, who were preseason, like, number 10 in the country. Yeah, I mean, still the four seed, which is kind of kind of impressive, too. And then, you know, the other thing, UNCG wants a little revenge, obviously, for the way they lost and maybe get things going. And for Mercer, you know, a little chippy at the end of that uh, end of the match, and so the way they lost and the celebration everything else they didn't well, care Mer- for. Well, Mercer plays chippy anyway, but yeah, it was, it was a little bit, I mean, Brad Russo is just a competitor. He's just a super competitive guy, and he hates losing, and he will do whatever it takes not to lose, uh, that get, especially if that gives him the best opportunity to win. That's like just who he is. That's just who he is, and that there's no, you know, that's not a critique. It's just that there are a lot of coaches like that that are just that mindset of we're going we're gonna to do whatever we have to do to win this game. And Mercer and UNCG. UNCG probably should have won the game they played in Greensboro. Uh, they hit a post, a penalty off the post early in that game that would have put them up a golden nil. And then they conceded, and they managed to find their way back for one. But um, Spartans could have won that game, probably should have won that game. Um, Mercer will need to be very, very careful around the box that they don't concede another penalty because I cannot imagine that Basil Mark giving a, given another opportunity uh, or even Arno Tudovan, who got a hat trick against the Keydets. Those guys are going to be locked in and ready to go. Mercer is so dangerous on set pieces because of their size. Uh, they're so great in the air. Sakua Guard scored their goal. As the center back scored their goal. Two center backs scored two goals uh, against their, in that ETSU Mercer game. Like only one of the goals was scored by an actual forward. And it was a spectacular one. Kieran Richards, cannot forget the Kieran Richards diving header. But this is going to be a fascinating quarterfinal on Friday. I cannot wait to watch it. Cannot wait to call it. And Sunday is going to be it's going to be all out. It's going to be all out because if you win, you have a week off to prepare for whoever's coming to Johnson City for the SoCon Championship. Now, if ETSU is eliminated, it's probably going to, going to Wofford. But um, you have a week to prepare, you have a week to rest, you have a week to get your body right, recover from any little knocks, you know, where guys can take maintenance days during training, all that stuff, you can really dial it in and, and give it your best in the, in the title game. Yeah, both those games, ESPN Plus, Friday, Summer Stadium, Stadium 3 p.m. Friday, so for those of you who want the businessman special, uh, it's free, but still able to come out and watch that contest, and Sunday... That sounds uh, like the best kind of business. Okay, free? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 if a transaction is free for me, I will do that transaction 
more often than not. And it was uh, expecting a similar crowd to what we saw Saturday night, especially what we saw, I thought, Sunday afternoon was a great crowd. Last Sunday for the women's soccer team, in which Jay Yelton Bowl 5 went to the older brother. Um, Todd, yeah. And it was a, uh, man, it was one of those where, you, you know, you get down, in those situations, you go down one, it kind of changes things. But obviously when they got the second one, it was, uh, it was tough. Yeah, Sanford was just built for this moment. You know, that's a team that had like six grad students on the field in their starting 11 and three or four more on the bench that they could go to. They had a ton of seniors as well, players that have eligibility remaining but could conceivably graduate if they so desire. Uh, that team's going to look very different next year. ETSU brings back uh, – they have they have 10 of the 11 starters. Taylor Limperville did not have eligibility remaining. She played her last game on Sunday. 16 of the 18 players who saw the field for ETSU have eligibility remaining. So they are going to bring back a lot of talent, and they're going to add to it. I know that Jay Yelton is very excited about his 2024 recruiting class, and that is a group that they've had kind of rounded up and rallied together for a nice little while now. They're super excited. Most wins in a season since 2016. They broke the school record for shutouts in a season. They broke the school record for fewest goals conceded. They conceded 10 goals all season, including the two in their only home loss of the year in the semifinal of the reigning champs. Um, longest shutout streak in school history, and this is my favorite one, fewest losses in a season in ETSU women's soccer history with three. The previous record was six. Yeah, exciting times, I think, for Coach Yelton. And, uh, you know, to see – and it's, it shows maybe early success, right? Let's use UNCG men's soccer compared to women's. And I know it, it apples and oranges in some comparisons, but – you thought they were going to have a certain type of year, and all of a sudden, loss, 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 loss. And you can see yep. UNCG yep. men go down. For women's soccer, I think the early results of, like, boom, hey, success, win, tie, win, win. And all of a sudden, you're like, holy cow. And you can start to, you know, it's just amazing confidence, especially young, younger teams, younger players. When you see that, you start to see the light bulbs go off or the confidence, or maybe they, the, the old, hey, they don't know they're not supposed to be good type deal, right? Sure. Or it's not supposed to be good this early, maybe a better way to word that. And you could see that going, and it turned into a fun team to go watch. There were plenty of people that I talked to that, that went and hadn't been in a couple of years and were like, hey, that, that's that's a pretty exciting group to watch and style of play to, are, that you yeah. can get behind. Yes, and Sino Asane is so fun just with such quick feet, and she can do so many exciting things with the ball, you know, and she's so creative the ball at her feet as well uh, can be really fun to watch. But, yeah, I knew when, when I watched them play Virginia Tech uh, here in the exhibition at the beginning of the year, I said, hey, this, this, could, this, this, could, this could go for them. Like, this could work. Uh, what, what he's trying to do, I, I think, could work. And then Kennesaw State came along, and I said, they just need to score one. If they can score the one, if they can break through against Davidson, because it was a goal of straw, and they were pounding on the door all 90 minutes against Kennesaw State, couldn't break through. So that looks a little familiar. If they score against Davidson, I think it's going to happen for them. And then they score twice in 74 seconds. And it's like, okay, game on. We're in. We're doing this. Uh, they had a chance at Tennessee. It slipped away. Uh, Gardner-Webb, they handled their business. Tennessee Tech, very good team, salvaged a, a, a result on the road. Emma Arnold comes back from injury and wins them the Winthrop game. And they were off and rolling at that point. And uh, 11, 3, and 5, the, uh, just a really special year for ETSU women's soccer. 10 wins is kind of the 20-win benchmark. Um, and uh, that, that was really, really good to see. And I think there's more to come for uh, the Yelton clan and the, the pride of Piney Flats in charge uh, of that program. They have gone out and gotten some really good players and looking forward to seeing what they do in 2024. The best games of the week. The ones these two dorks want to watch. Yay! It's the pick six. All right, we don't have to stand on too much ceremony with these. UC Davis in Northern Arizona. We both picked the Aggies, and they walked up to the walk up Sky Dome and walked out with an L. Uh, Northern Arizona probably ended UC Davis' season right then and there uh, in Flagstaff. Uh, Eastern Washington at Portland State. You picked PSU. I picked EWU. And because I thought. Eastern Washington might actually be like a good football team. And Portland State got it done. Uh, how about Portland State? Eastern Washington got it down to six. And the very next possession, 
Portland State hits a 44-yard touchdown run. Sounds glorious. So, uh, yeah, it's just that's a backbreaker. It's amazing uh, how we turn on teams each week, isn't it, though? Isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? Uh, 30-yard line was Delaware at Towson. Delaware was a prohibitive favorite, and they were up 35 nothing early in the second quarter. Uh, they actually pooch kicked it uh, after a touchdown with a missed extra point, got it back, and scored on a short field, and then went for two and got it to make sure it was 28 to nothing. Uh, so they, they, they were – the Cardi party is on, and Delaware is very much in the seeding picture. New Hampshire at Rhode Island. We both picked the Wildcats, and we were both wrong. Montana State at Idaho. You picked the Vandals. I picked the Bobcats. Vandals won it late in NB best FCS game of the year. Uh, a spectacular game. Great crowd. What I was hoping was the Idaho team we'd see against Montana. We got it off their bye week at home against Montana State. I should have known better, and I stepped on a rake there. And then we both picked the Jackrabbits uh, in the uh, game at South Dakota. I don't think either of us saw that spectacular blowout coming. But they definitely went down there with a point to prove. And now it's on to the Dakota marker. And the next two weeks, I think, will determine uh, South Dakota State, whether they are the one seed or something else. They can actually clinch a share of the Valley title if they get a win and I think a Northern Iowa loss, but Northern Iowa is playing Western Illinois. Uh, and South Dakota, oh, and uh, Southern Illinois has to beat South Dakota as well for that to happen. But if that were to happen, they would clinch a share of the Valley with a win in the marker game this weekend. With two weeks left. That's how good they've been this year. Just keep your nose clean, man. That's all it is. Just stay out of the just, just win, stay baby. Out of the mud. Just keep winning. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Dude, can jackrabbits swim? I don't know. That would be terrifying. Jackrabbits are large. They are large and they are not very nice. Uh, and so if they could swim, that would be terrifying. But that's it for the show today. We'll preview the key debts of VMI. And a big one coming up this weekend for ETSU football plus SOCON football talk. An upset in Macon as, well, actually it was in Cullowee, wasn't it? Yeah, it was in Cullowee. It was in Cullowee. uh, Mercer gets a big win. Furman and Chattanooga playing a de facto SOCON title game this weekend. we got a lot to talk about on the Jane Keith Show on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Big weekend to SOCON.